I'm sorry, Genesis 33, 18, verse 18. Now Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padan Aram and camped before the city. He bought the piece of land where he had pitched his tent from the hands of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of silver, 100 pieces of money. So uh, uh, just above that, he had promised that his brother Esau that he would come and see him. We have no record of that, but uh, uh, there's many things we don't have a record of in the Bible. God gives us all that we need. He had gone uh, from this, this, he was formerly on the east side of the Jordan, which is present-day Jordan, uh, the, the country of Jordan, present-day the country of Jordan, went down to visit his brother, and then it says that he ended up going to back up to this border that was ultimately going to become the, the, that was the, the Jabbok River. And uh, uh, he went to a town called Sukkoth, and he set up some temporary dwellings there. But then it eventually says that he came safely to the city of Shechem in verse 18. <clears throat> Again, we have no record of the time when he came across the Jordan, uh, if, uh, what it was like when he visited his father, uh, Isaac, who was down in the Negev. Now, why didn't he stay in the Negev? Why didn't he go to the Negev with his father? Well, he had a bunch of animals. He had a huge, huge amount of wealth. And if you go to the Negev even today, uh, it's really sparse. It's, it's, it's a lot less greenery than, than West Texas. It is really sparse. And so maybe, maybe Isaac's flocks and Jacob's flocks, he would have outdone it. Because he ends up coming to Shechem. And uh, Shechem is, is, where Shechem is, this is ultimately going to become the, where Ephraim is, and the, 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 uh, the area that's going to become the dedicated to, to the sons of Ephraim. And that's a very plush place, and so you could easily support a lot of cattle there. Maybe that's why he ended up there. We are not told in the Bible. Many things we're not told. Again, we're told exactly what we need to know. Other things <clears throat> we can only speculate upon, but they're not of uh, a, a, as of much importance. He ended up going to this town of Shechem, and he bought a piece of land. Uh, um, and he, he bought a piece of land from, uh, uh, it says... He pitched his tent from the hand, he bought the piece of land where he had pitched his tent from the hand of the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father. So he ended up buying it from the sons of Hamor. So he bought it from Shechem, and uh, uh, Shechem's father was Hamor. Hamor was like the, the king of that city. It was a small, cities were small back then. I've seen some of the, the ruins of certain cities. I don't know what the population of Shechem was at that time. It could have been as small as 100 men, and plus the wives and the children. We don't know, but these were not big places. Uh, and it says that he bought a piece of land. This is the only part of land that Jacob will ever own. In fact, Abraham, the only part that Abraham owned was, was this field of Machpelah and this grave site where he buried his, his wife, Sarah. That's all that Abraham ever owned, and then where he was ultimately buried and the field that went along with it. <clears throat> Here, he buys the land. So although the land had been promised to Jacob, he bought it. 
All of the land had been promised to Jacob, but there were other people living there. So he bought it from them. This was not yet the time that, he would, that there was going to be a great conquering of the land where God said, <clears throat> eventually God's going to say that the sin of the Canaanite is complete. They're so wicked. They're offering up their children. It's time to deal with them. But now is not the time for that. And uh, um, so you see that, that it says also in verse 20 of chapter 33, then he erected there an altar and called it El Eloi Israel. That means the literal translation is God, the gods of Israel. Or you could say God, the God of Israel. He established that when he moved into that land and he took that place and he bought that land. He set up an altar and he said, this is the land of Israel. And remember, God had gave him, given him this new name, Israel, <clears throat> when they had this wrestling match with this angel of the Lord had given them this new name, Israel, the one who strives, the one who, who persists with God. And so, so uh, here's where he now first takes on that name. Now let's read chapter 34. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of the land. When Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he took her and he lay with her by force. And he was deeply attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this young girl for a wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. But his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob kept silent until they came in. Then Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. Now the sons of Jacob came in from the field, and when they heard it, the men were grieved and they were very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing ought not to be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him in marriage. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters to take daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. Thus you shall live with us and the land live with us and the land shall be open before you. Live and trade in it and acquire property in it. Okay, so Dinah, that's the daughter of, of, uh, um, of Jacob through his wife Leah. Leah had had first she had had seven sons. And after the, the, the uh, um, she had had six sons, she had had six sons by this point, and um, it, for, for, for it, it, it talks about this in, um, in chapter, in chapter uh, uh, 30, in, in chapter 30, it says, it says um, verse 19, Leah had conceived and bore a sixth son to Jacob. And she named that, that sixth son Zebulun. And then afterwards, it says in verse 21, afterwards she bore a daughter and named her Dinah. So she had six sons and then she bore Dinah <clears throat> as her seventh child. We don't know uh, uh, when he had other daughters. We know that there were other daughters born to him or if they just weren't recorded because in chapter 37, verse 35, it talks about his daughters comforting Jacob. But she was either the only daughter or one of the few ones. She was the youngest of seven from Leah. 
And now, now it says, now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of the land. So Dinah could only have been, as the oldest she could have been was six years old when Jacob left Paddan Aram. She was just a child when Jacob meets Esau and things like that. But that, so she was only only five or six years old at that time, maybe seven years old, but but uh, uh, no older than that. But here, she, now between uh, uh, the time that Jacob meets Esau and where we are in, in chapter thirty-four is at least eight years, maybe ten years. So there's this big gap of time. We don't know what's happening in this big gap of time when we start. Chapter 34. This is eight years different from the time when he had left Paddan Aram. So Dinah at this point is estimated to be 14 to 16 years old. Her oldest brother, Reuben, is probably in his mid-20s, 24, 25, something like this. Her, her next two brothers, Simeon and Levi, they're probably in their early 20s. They're going to become relevant in this chapter. And so she goes out to visit the daughters of the land. Now, we don't know exactly what this means. It just says that she went out to visit the daughters of the land. Lots of people speculate that she was, she was going out there seductively, learning from the, the Canaanite women. We don't know. We're not told. Uh, it could have been a very, a very innocent thing. I mean, she's got all these brothers around. You're living for, for many years in this, in this new area. And you see young girls and you just want to be around some other young girls and visit. She just went to visit. Whether she was acting seductively, we don't know. Whether she was acting uh, uh, greatly wrongly, we don't know. Should she have told her mother? Should she have told her brothers? Maybe. I mean, no, nobody's perfect. Uh, we're just not given much on this. So you can speculate all you want, but we're not giving much. It says, though, in verse 2, when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, so among the Canaanites, there was this Hivite group. They were Hivites. Uh, Shechem was the prince. He was the son of Hamor. And uh, it, says in, it says he was the prince of the land. So his father was the king. He was the prince. And he saw her, and he took her, and he lay with her by force. Now, now this was a different generation. This was many thousands of years ago. This was not right what he did, not condoning that at all. He saw her, he took her, and he raped her because it says he lay with her by force. She wasn't a willing party in this. He lay with her by force, and he took her. Now, you know, kings at that time could do lots of things that they wanted to do, and princes are even, even harder to control than kings because they have, they have all the, 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 um, you know, the bad nature of young people and the impulsive nature of young people. And he's a prince, so he just took her. She's beautiful. He took her, and he slept with her, and he forced himself upon her. In verse 3, he was deeply attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl, and he spoke tenderly to her. So he had all of a sudden fallen in love with her. He slept with her. He raped her. And then, then uh, uh, this is all in the same day. All in the same day, he starts speaking kindly to her. This is very different than when Amnon had raped uh, Tamar, his half-sister, David's children. Uh, right after he raped Tamar, he hated her. He despised her. This is different. This man, he really loves her. And again, this is, this is uh, 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 
Not a good thing, but princes seem to get their way. Verse 4, so Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, get me this young girl as a wife. So the man is, in a sense, trying to reconcile. He understands that what he's done, he's defiled this girl in this way. He says, get me her as a wife. I love her. So he's appealing to his father because the fathers would appeal on their son's behalf to get a wife. And, uh, um, you know, it's interesting when, when the Lord started speaking to my heart about, about Shireen, it, it's, uh, um, I spoke to the pastor of my church. He was an Indian man, and he understood the culture, and he became my advocate. And uh, uh, he was the one who communicated. And so Hamor, go, Hamar goes, and he approaches Jacob uh, to speak with him about getting this, this young girl, Dinah, for his, his son as a wife. This is all in the same day that she's been raped. Verse 7, the sons of Jacob were in the field, they come in, and this is the first they're hearing about this. Jacob didn't want to say anything till his sons came in. And when the sons heard it, it says they were grieved. So the first thing is they were grieved. I mean, somebody in your family gets, gets uh, uh, hurt in a violent crime. The first thing you do is you, you're in pain for them. It says, and, and they were very angry. And the next thing you do is you get really angry at the perpetrator. So you grieve for the, the, the pain of your, your, your sibling. But now they're angry, and they said, what's been done is a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. Such a thing ought not to have been done. So in other words, the, the tribe of Israel, this, this family of Israel, of Jacob, had very different moral standards than the Hivites. And the, they realized that this was an evil thing, they call it that, and they see, say a disgraceful thing in Israel. So all of a sudden, they are naming their clan after a nation, Israel, the name of their father. So about 10 years earlier, he had been given this name. By this time, they're calling even their nation, Israel. And say, this is a disgraceful thing. They realized right from wrong. They had some sense of right from wrong, and, and, and they had this sense. And... Uh, um, Hamor appeals to them, he says, but Hamor spoke with them, saying, the soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him in marriage. Now look, princes are compulsive. They're used to getting what they want. And he told his father, it says in verse 3, he was deeply attracted to her, and he loved her in verse 3. And so the father says, look, I know my son, when he gets like this, just... I got to I got to get your daughter for my son. Just what 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 what, what can I give you? Uh, he says he longs for her, and and uh, I'll tell you as a parent when your son really wants something, you know you sometimes you feel bad for him and you want to do it. Now again, what he did was terribly wrong. I'm just saying. Think about the mindset of these people at this moment, and Hamor Hamor's mindset is, is this. So what he offers them is this. He says in, in verse 9, intermarry with us, give us your daughters, give your daughters to us, and take our daughters for yourselves. Thus you shall live with us, and the land shall be open before you. Live and trade in it, and acquire property in it. So what he's saying is, look, you can, you can, have, you can have all of this stuff, you can live with us. And there were many nomadic tribes back then that were longing for something like this, which was state citizenship in one of these cities, to be associated with a city. 
and, uh, um, and to have part of the rights that come with that city. And so, so this was the offer be, they put before him. But Jacob doesn't answer. The sons don't answer. Verse 11, Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, If I find favor in your sight, then I will give whatever you say to me. Ask me ever so much bridal payment and gift and I will give according as you say to me, but give me the girl in marriage. Okay, this is a big mistake. Shechem was head over heels over this girl. He really loved her, and so he starts negotiating. Look, if you are are, are uh, involved in something, if you love something a lot, you're not the best negotiator. If you love a car... And you really got to have that car. I mean, the salesman knows it, and you're going to pay every last penny for that car. If if you love a house, and that's the only house that you, you can you you can get. I, I mean, the, that's the only house you want. Money will be no object to you. <clears throat> You'll got to have that house. Shechem starts negotiating, which was a big mistake. He's about to give away the family farm. Shechem said to her father, to Jacob, and to her brothers. If I find favor in your sight, you're like, huh? How can you find favor in our sight? You just raped our sister. But he says, if I find favor in your sight, then I will give you whatever you say to me. I'll give you anything you want. I told you, he's going to give away the family farm. When you get, when you get, uh, uh, when your hormones start getting involved with a woman, I mean, guys get crazy. They do crazy. They, they, they. They do crazy things. I know a guy who, who loved this girl, and he was afraid this girl was was seeing another guy. She wouldn't answer the phone. He drove from the east coast of the United States to the west coast. It took him three and a half days. He drove there just to knock on her door and see her and talk to her. She opened the door, and he confronted her about another relationship. She confessed she was in another relationship. And he turned around and he walked away. He never got in the house. He turned around and he walked away and he drove back to the East Coast. <coughs> Guys do crazy things when, when they're in love. And uh, that's why when you start feeling attractions for a woman or for a man, uh, you want to get somebody else whom you trust to give you an evaluation here to, to, to help you to understand <coughs> what's this person like. And so, so Shechem starts doing the negotiation. And so it says in verse 13, But Jacob's sons answered Shechem and his father Hamor with deceit because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. They, they said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we consent to you. If you will become like us, in that every male of you be circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters for ourselves, and we will live with you and become uh, uh, with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and go. So they had planned real deceit. They knew how much this guy 
loved their daughter and they knew that he would do anything for her. He said, name it, I'll give it to you. And the other thing that Shechem was doing is he was saying, you don't have to pay any dowry. Generally, generally people in this day, the, the, the man would have, the, the, uh, uh, the, there would be some dowry that would have to be paid. Jacob would pay some dowry in this as well. But this was not going to be the case. This man was going to do all the giving. And, and they said, look, only on this one condition, you and all, every male, be circumcised. So every male in Shechem be circumcised. And then we'll give you the daughter. Then we'll give you Dinah. And we'll become one people with you then. In verse 17, but if you will not listen to us to be circumcised, then we'll take our daughter and we'll go. We'll just take her and go. Um, and so, so you see here, this is really scheming. But what they do is they take something of their faith something that's precious, and that's circumcision. This circumcision meant to be set apart for God. This was a sign that they were set apart for God. And they were taking something, and they were holding it out like this is some religious uh, uh, sacrament that doesn't really mean anything. You guys just do this, and you'll be fine. Even these sons did not understand how precious circumcision was to God. Even though there were many groups in those days that circumcised, when it came to the circumcision among the Hebrews, this was a solemn thing. And this was a dedication to God. So when we start taking religion and we play with it as if it's a toy, it becomes utterly meaningless. Utterly meaningless. And so he says, this is the only way we'll deal with it. Verse 18. Now their words seemed reasonable to Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. The young man did not delay to do the thing because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. Now he was more respected than all the household of his father. So this prince that goes around raping young women was the most respected of all the princes, was the most respected in Hamor's house. So you can see these are pretty wild people. If the most respected one is a rapist. But he was so head over heels over this girl, it says he didn't delay to do this thing. So he himself got circumcised immediately. At that very same time, the same day he rapes her, the same day he appeals for, for, for uh, 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 getting her for a wife, the same day, the same day he sits apart and he gets, him, he gets circumcised. And he was the most respected guy in that whole household. Verse 20, so Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of the city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are friendly with us, therefore let them live in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters in marriage and give our daughters to them. Only on this condition will the men consent to us to live with us, to become one people that every male among us be circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock and their property and all their animals be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will live with us. All who went out of the gate of the city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised. All who went out of the gate of the city.
Okay, so they, they go and they appeal to the men of the city and they explain the deal. And, he, and uh, the first thing uh, Hamor first speaks, he says, look, these men are friendly with us and, and uh, let them live with us. And, and uh, um, he says, look, we got enough land to sustain them. That's really interesting. He had to convince them that there's enough land to sustain them because their animals, their flocks, their riches were so vast he had to convince them, hey, don't worry, we'll have enough here. I mean, if you had just like a donkey and a cow, he wouldn't have had to convince them of anything. But that, again, shows you how much Jacob had, much more than he had left with from Padan Aram. He's gained and gained and gained, so much so. And it says, it says the, um, and then let us take their daughters and we'll give them our daughters. He says, uh, uh, but there's one thing, only on this condition will the men consent, that every male among us has to be circumcised. And I can tell you, I can just imagine that when they say that, every man just starts to put his hands over his, his, his groin. I mean, they just, it's not something a man wants to hear. I mean, these, these are unreasonable terms. But then he goes on to say, he says, will not their livestock and their property and all their animals be ours? Only let us consent to them and they will live with us. So when it comes to money, men will do all sorts of stuff. And these guys have a price. And they, when they, they knew how much Jacob had, it was so much. And he said, their animals would be ours. In other words... There's so many animals that Jacob has. For the hundred of us, or however many men there were in this little city of Shechem, that's going to be plenty for all of us, what this one man owns. If we get circumcised, they'll become one people. We'll end up getting this from him. And they said, okay, we'll do it. Greed. Greed is what did this. They're willing to be circumcised, not for the advantage of what this is going to give them spiritually, not to get closer to God, but they're getting circumcised strictly because of greed. When we take religion and we take our faith in God and we do it for something of greed, I'll give you an example. If a man uses his faith to start sharing with a woman or to be counselor to her, and then he steps into this and he, he comes under the pretense of faith and slowly over time develops this relationship with her just to seduce her, he's in for real trouble. We can't mess around with the things of God. And this is what these people are doing, and this is even what the sons of Jacob are doing. And there's going to be real trouble from this, real trouble for those men, real trouble for the sons of Jacob for doing this sort of thing. There is something of faith that is precious to us, absolutely precious to us. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 12, Jesus said, and if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Jesus is everything to us. He is precious to us. We look to him as our savior. Jesus is the one who's given his life for us. Jesus gives his life for you. If you are messing around with the things of God and using it to think that you're going to acquire something or using it as a pretense for something else, You'd be in big trouble. You can't mess around with this. Jesus is the one who sees our hearts. 
I urge you today to come to Him in repentance. Also, if you don't know the Lord, seek Him today. Jesus gives of Himself for us. Jesus gives of Himself for us. In John chapter 14, verse 20, in John chapter 14, verse 23, it says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. If you take Jesus seriously, that this is not just a bunch of empty religion, but Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. If you get in the word of God and make this your daily meditation, I'll tell you, this whole COVID-19 virus and everything and having to be out of work and my labs are closed and I'm teaching online, uh, everything is messed up and, and, and my whole routine is messed up. You know, I have to spend more time in the Word of God to stay close to Him. I've just started, in addition to all my normal reading, I'm also just picking up and just spending quality time meditating in a chapter of the Gospel of John each day. And that's just reminding me and drawing me closer to Him. We have to take great strides to stay close to Him. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. We can't keep His word if we don't know His word. I urge you, to get into the Word of God. And as your schedules are mixed up and things are all different for you and you may have kids at home and all this stuff going on, I urge you to take the Word of God, get alone with the Word of God, and say, Lord, speak to me. You pick up the Bible and you say, Lord, as I read this passage, speak to me. Speak to me. That's what meditation is. And then watch God speak. Go figure. God answers prayer. Watch God speak to you. Get in His Word or you end up doing dastardly things. You end up just because you're quote-unquote a Christian, you'd be all right. Just like those thought, people thought that circumcision was just, just nothing, you know, it was just this act. No, it's something deep. The faith that we have in Christ is deep and it is important and it's something that's important to us. We must be in the Word of God. If you're not in the Word of God, I guarantee you, you will get drawn astray if you're not in the Word of God. Daily, daily. That's not three days a week. That's not four days a week. It is every day in the Word of God. Take this Word seriously. Be in the Word of God and you will be greatly blessed. Be in the Word of God and you will be greatly blessed. If anyone loves me, he will keep my Word, Jesus said. In John 14, 23, you can't keep his word without knowing it. And what's the outcome of that? He says, and my father will love him. If you get in the word of God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ will love you. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. If you know the Lord, the Holy Spirit is already in you. But Jesus says, if you obey his word, you get in his word and obey it, his Father and Him, Jesus and His Father, will come and make their abode with you. You feel estranged from God. You feel separated from God. You spend time in His Word. And Jesus and His Father will come and be your fellowship. They will make their abode with you. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't have this until you know Him. The first step is knowing Him. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You will be saved. You shall be. When he says you shall, it has to happen. You shall be saved. 
You confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God is risen, that, he's, that Jesus is risen from the dead. Because when Jesus was killed, he died for our sins on the cross. He was put in a grave and on the third day, he rose up. On the third day, he rose from the grave. There's more written about that than any other event in history from that era of eyewitness accounts. But you don't even need that. Because God has placed the truth of that in your heart already. The truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is already in your heart. And I urge you this day to confess to that truth that's already there. That Jesus has given his life for you. Come to the Lord this day. As I pray, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Right there in your own home, wherever you you, you pray, right along with me. Speak it right out along with me as I pray and invite Jesus into your heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you come now and that you speak to the hearts of people. And now as I pray, repeat after me. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I believe that Jesus is Lord and I believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. I believe Jesus has risen from the dead. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I thank you for these people that are listening and I pray, Lord, that you draw them to Jesus. Oh, Lord, draw them to Jesus, I pray. And Father, I pray that you cause us to take our faith seriously, that this is not just a bunch of dead sacraments to us, that it means something. And you warned us, Lord, that we had to be in the Word of God, that we had to be in the Word of God to show our love for you, that we would meditate on it and do it because Jesus said if anyone loves me he will keep my word and Father I pray that you would fulfill the very things that you have spoken in the lives of those listening that as they get in the word of God and meditate on it that you and your Father would make your abode with them Lord your mercies be with us I pray Glory be to Jesus, who is the best in every way. Glory be to the Son of God. And I commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.